be sure to visit Aaron on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Like and share your favorite episodes, which are now available on all podcast platforms, including the Charisma Podcast Network. And consider becoming a financial partner by supporting this ministry. Visit AaronRios.com for more details. God still has greater things before you. If you're in the valley, I got good news. Every valley is bookmarked between at least two mountains. Wherever you are, you got to begin to recognize that God has better things. Welcome to Press On with Aaron Rios, lead pastor of Garden City Church, located in Beverly, Massachusetts. We pray that you are enriched, challenged, and inspired to press on towards the cause of Christ. Today, I want to talk to you about the better things. Can you say that with me right now, wherever you're listening to this podcast? I want you to say this, God, you have better things in store. If you're in the mountaintop, God has better things in store. If you're finding yourselves in the valley of despair, I want you to tell yourself, God has better things. In fact, you know what? It's not even about you telling yourself. It's about you recognizing and realizing the truth of God's word that God has better things in store for you. Oh, I pray the Holy Spirit would breathe on you right now and begin to stir a faith in your heart that you'd begin to recognize God has better things for me. I'm going to be reading out of Hebrews chapter 6, beginning with verse 1, and then we're going to dive into today's message beginning with verse one, it says, therefore, leaving the elementary teachings about the Christ, let us press on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of instruction about washings and laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. Let me stop right there. Right now, the exhortation is to grow and mature. So this verse encapsulates immediately some of the basics, the foundations of a newborn believer. What are those basics? What are the elementary teachings? Number one, repentance. People that are in a cycle of continual repentance. I can flip it on its end and it would actually sound like this. People who are in a continual cycle of failure. Do you find yourself in a continual cycle of failure? Listen, from time to time, we're going to experience shortcomings and failures. All believers are. But we're talking about the basic foundation of repentance, recognizing that your mind must be continually set towards the things above, setting your mind continually towards Christ Jesus. Are you able to fix your mind on Jesus? The foundation of repentance begins with the foundation of changing your mind, not vacillating back and forth, one foot in, one foot out. Friend, God is calling you to mature and grow in the things of God so that you can move towards the next level that he has in store. And then the second thing that we can observe in this passage is the laying on of hands and the washing what, what is that? What is the laying on of hands? What is this referring to? Well, it's talking about ritualistic observation of dead faith, never the practicing of faith. And what I mean by that is being so caught up in trying to honor and please and appease God 
through observing a religious rite or practice, never actually being deeply impacted and moving towards expression of a faith. God wants you to live your faith out, not simply observe it, not simply say, I go to church, not simply say, I did this or did that to please God, but actually living in the practice of God's presence. The laying on of hands, moving past the initial uh, phase of impartation or ordination, uh, the laying on of hands signified many things, but the practice of being called over and over and over again. In other words, they're having altar calls and every week everybody's responding to the same thing. And they're having to be reaffirmed in the teachings about the resurrection and eternal judgment. God is calling people to move past this. So when we get to verse 3, he's exhorting the people, we got to move past this and we're going to if God can permit us. Let me keep reading in verse 4. It says, For in the case of those who have once been enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and have been made partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tested the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away. It is impossible to renew them again to repentance since they again crucify to themselves the Son of God and put him to open shame. For ground that drinks the rain which often falls on it and brings forth vegetation useful to those for whose sake it is also tilled receives a blessing from God. But if it yields thorns and thistles, it is worthless and close to being cursed. And it ends up being burned. But, beloved... We are convinced of better things concerning you and things that accompany salvation. Though we are speaking in this way, hallelujah. I want to break this passage down again. Let's revisit this. God has better things in store for you. God has better things in store for you. He has better plans for your marriage. He has better plans for your business. He has better plans for our community. He has better plans for our country. Do you believe that God has better things? If you're in the mountaintop, God still has greater things before you. If you're in the valley, I got good news. Every valley is bookmarked between at least two mountains. Wherever you are, you got to begin to recognize that God has better things waiting for you. But the question remains, where are they? I've heard this before, Pastor. Where are these better things? When is my marriage going to get better? When is my finances going to get better? When is my dreams and my passions going to come to fruition? When is life going to get better for me? Well, we have to observe what is the definition of better. What is it that God has for you versus what is it that you have for yourself? You know, Usain Bolt, famous competitor, runner, Olympic medalist, this is what he said. He said, I spent four years training for nine seconds of running. Yet so many people quit after two months when there's no results. What's that mean to us today? If you want to achieve better things, if you want to get to new levels, it requires overcoming challenges. I'm not sure we have a culture that's up for the challenge. Are you up for the challenge? Are you up for the challenge? I suppose if you could purchase a diploma or you could purchase a trophy, uh, it would have no value. Diplomas are only of value contingent on the struggle you've gone through or the trophy is only as valid and as celebrated as the sport or the trial required to achieve it 
Do you want trophies of value? Do you want a diploma that actually matters or do you want a trophy case that's filled uh, that you just purchased it all on eBay? And you see, this is kind of what's transpiring in the book of Hebrews. The author is addressing an immature culture, a culture, I'd call it a convenience culture. Uh, I don't want to culture, a it hurts too much culture. But I believe God would call you to embrace the pain. See, another pastor said it this way, new levels are going to equal new devils. And so if you don't know your purpose in life, and if you don't have clarity in your call, then when struggle comes in your life, it's not going to make sense. You're going to feel like a victim and you're going to wonder, why am I going through this? But when you know your purpose, you'll begin to understand that your obstacles have power in them for birthing something in you that otherwise could not be birthed without the struggle. And though it sounds so nice to say that God has your best interest at heart, you got to hear me today. God doesn't. He has his best interests at heart. And that's actually a good thing because his interests uh, are better than your interests. And you will be a benefactor when you put God's interests first and you allow him to work those processes out. So his character in nature is not to create a human sacrifice. No, his call is for you to create the sacrifice. You be the sacrifice. Put his desires first in your life and all of a sudden, you'll begin to embrace the better things that are coming your way. You'll embrace them with joy. You'll embrace them. The Word of God tells us that for the joy set before him, Christ took hold of the cross. There is joy, though it, you might not experience it on the cross, but it's through the cross to attain the joy. And I wonder if you can take hold of the better things, but it's going to require you embracing your cross. Are you prepared to take hold of the cross in order to get to the better thing? So let me ask you, what's stopping you? Well, I'm asking that question, which it's got to be juxtaposed with stopping me from what? The better things. <laughs> this is the question that many of us simply don't consider. We don't really ask ourselves this question. Have you asked yourself, what is stopping me? What is it that is keeping me and preventing me from taking hold of the better things? Listen, there's a play on words in this passage, and the author's telling us that it's possible to be saturated with rain. But when you yield a crop, it's a crop that is no good and requires the cleansing fire. Take hold of this. Because it's possible for two people to sit in a church service and hear a great message and one to run to the altar and the other to run out the door. It's possible that you can be hearing the word of God and as you hear it, it begins to harden you and it doesn't yield what's intended to be yielded in your life. There's a lot of crops and the crop that God wants to yield in your life, that is the better thing. The call to move past the elementary into transformation and empowerment. Here's one of the particular crops that ought to be yielded in your life, the crop of repentance. Has repentance really been birthed in your life? There's a difference between apologies and repentance. God is calling repentance to be birthed in your life. Apologies can sometimes lack repentance. And apologies that lack repentance are like a thorny bush. It'll sting when you touch it, right? It's like a memory. It's like something that happened that you said, I'm so sorry that happened and let's move on. And so if anybody brings it up, it'll sting your conscience. And so we say, I'm so sorry. And we move forward 
We have an apology that there's no change, there's no transformation, there's no repentance. And so the thorny bush stays dormant in your life. But the memories or circumstances will arise in your life that will remind you of that mistake and that failure and the sense of shame and that sense of victimization and that sense of, uh, of all the feelings associated with that shortcoming will come rushing back. Why? Because perhaps there hasn't been a true healing or a true repentance. God wants to yield crops of healing and repentance in the lives of people. So the author has a play of words here. That to be exposed to the truth of God, to be exposed to that and to walk away with rejection, to push it out of your life is to abandon the opportunity for healing and change and transformation. When you've been exposed to the power of God, when you've been exposed to the opportunity and you'd make up your mind to go after something, I tried it, I don't like it let's move on, then it's possible to fall for the deception that your remedy will be best. Well, God has a plan to deal with that. He wants to burn the thorn bushes out of your life. He wants to bring you to a point of confrontation with that thing that prevents you from walking in the fullness and taking hold of the better things. But you've got to confront the areas of your life that have become a hindrance. See, I'm convinced what's often stopping people from walking towards the better things is the person standing in the mirror, doubting, God, you're not going to use me. God, you can't save me. Jesus, is it really that simple that I come to you and I give you my life and you're going to turn this all around? Is it possible? No, it can't be that simple. But God wants to mature you. He wants to mature you in the faith so that you don't have to continually revisit those same altars where you've already made the sacrifice, but you can move forward and begin to birth new altars, new points of remembrance, new sacrifices, new seasons of victory. I remember when I was building a house many years ago and we were so excited when they flattened the property and they laid a foundation. And the foundation was so cool, it was so big. You could, you could see like where the bathrooms would be, where the bedrooms would be, where the kitchen was. And it was so exciting to see a new house, the foundation being laid. We would show up and we'd run around on it. The kids would play on it and we'd imagine this house. But if we would have just kept the foundation and told the construction workers to stop, then we would have been exposed to the rain, to the elements. Um, it wouldn't have really provided the safe haven that the home could have provided. And so many believers are living on the foundations of their faith, and they haven't allowed the growth and the building to take place so they can truly find the shelter that God wishes to bring into your life. God wants to mature you in order for you to take hold of the better things. That's not going to happen if you treat your faith so casually, treating Jesus like he's an addition, treating church like it's just an addition, like, it's, like you can just take it or leave it rather than an imperative. We must assemble together. We must worship together. The enemy wants to stop you from yielding the harvest of maturity. A church that will yield a harvest, he wants to stop that. Do you want to take hold of the better things? He wants you to stop you from birthing the things, as the author tells us, that accompany salvation. What has been birthed in your life since you've been saved? What measurable change, what measurable mark, what measurable transformation is in your life right now? 
He goes on to say in, in verse 9, but beloved, we're convinced of better things concerning you and the things that accompany salvation. Though we are speaking this way, speaking what way? So we're speaking like you could get to a point of hopelessness. He wants to move you into a place where the actions are demonstrating repentance. Do the actions of your life demonstrate that you have been saved? Do the actions in your life demonstrate repentance? Does your life represent ministry and work as a byproduct of the cleansing in your life? God wants to cleanse you. He wants to mature you. Everybody has something ministry related. Listen, whether you are a plumber, a mechanic, or work at the grocery store, you are in a place where the ministry can take place. That's where God can use you. Do you know God can use you? Are you letting him use you? And then another thing that accompanies salvation is the persistent pursuit of God. Are you persistently pursuing God? Oh, I pray that you would allow the Holy Spirit to birth a hunger in you to persistently pursue God. Here's what Romans 14, 17 says. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating or drinking, but a matter of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Look, these are some of the things that accompany salvation. We are convinced of the better things, the joy, the righteousness, the freedom for you to live for God in a way you never have before, to walk with a clarity, to walk with an authority. God is calling you to the better things. Are you ready to take hold of the better things? Here's another better thing. God is just. God is just. Verse 10 says, for God is not unjust so as to forget your work and the love which you have shown toward his name and having ministered and still ministering to the saints. God is just. If you faced opposition, if there's been sacrifices, we're guaranteed there will be a repayment. How do you define your opposition? How do you define your sacrifices? How do you define repayment? What, what does that mean to you? What does that look like to you? In other words, what's your expectation from God? I find it amazing how people can stay in jobs that are absolutely miserable because of a paycheck. People can work for 50 years in a job that gives them nothing, but they persevere through difficulty and ridicule and being unhappy for the occasional vacation, occasional day off, but primarily for the paycheck. Yet, it's hard to persevere in a faith that can radically change and transform you. But here's where God's justness is mostly visible. God is just often in this, not giving you what you want most now and causing you to sacrifice what is most needed later. To take hold of the better things, sometimes it means putting off what is good right now. I want you to know that if you're going through a season where you're not sensing joy and you're not walking in empowerment and you're not walking in the fruit of your faith, you say, you know, I've taken hold of Christ and I'm just not bearing fruit. My life is not bearing fruit. I became a believer and I, I'm not sensing the joy. I'm not sensing the peace. What's going on with me? What is it that's happening? I propose to you that God is just and he sees you. He sees your sacrifice. He sees your labors and he sees your work. He also sees your shortcomings. But do you know that even in your shortcomings, you say, Pastor, I haven't been, Pastor Aaron, I haven't been praying. I haven't been reading the Bible. I want you to know that it's a beautiful thing to know that even 
in the seasons where you haven't invested, he still loves you. He hasn't let you go. He still wants you. Are you convinced that nothing can separate you from the love of God? God has better things in store for you. But in order to take hold of those better things, I believe we need to say, Lord, mature me. I need to grow. I'm going to leave behind the elementary things that I've continually revisited over and over again. I'm going to move past the simple foundations. It's time to start building the house. It's time to start putting up the walls. It's time to get the heating and the plumbing and the electric into this place. It's time to set a roof. It's time to bring in a family. What I'm telling you is God has better things in store, but you're gonna have to muster the faith to say the foundation has been laid. The foundation is you, Christ. I gave you my heart, I gave you my life, and I'm ready to grow. This is a season to get up, to start moving. It's time to take hold of the better things. Let me pray for you right now. Father, I wanna thank you that you love me. I want to thank you that you have a good plan for me. I want to thank you that you have better things in store than the mundane, than the life I've been living, eat, sleep, repeat. I believe you have more for me, and I've been stuck in a pattern of brokenness. I've been stuck in a routine that has robbed me of my joy. I feel like every time I come to you, it's for the basic fundamental things that I should have moved past, but I haven't yet done that because there's a lack of faith in my heart. I feel insecure, but in this moment, moment, I declare, I want to move into the next level. I want to let go of some of the basic things, and I want to take hold of you, King Jesus. I ask you in your matchless name that you would lead me into the better things, the greater things that are yet to come. I pray that you would grow me in you. The foundation's already been laid. Lord, let's start building this house. Thank you for your work. Thank you for your love. Thank you that you've never leave me. You'll never forsake me. You'll never let me go. I thank you for the power of your presence and I yield myself to you. I'm ready, Lord. Take me into the better things. In Jesus' matchless name we ask this. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. Thank you for joining us. If today's message encouraged you to continue running the race, we invite you to share this message with others. Until next time, keep pressing on.